Welcome to the Waukesha Bible Church Podcast. We believe the Bible tells a single story, and at the center of that story is Jesus. If you like what you hear today, additional sermons, teaching sessions, and written material can be found on our website at waukeshawbible.org. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say this to you, that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view. But the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Thank you so much, John. Please be seated. We are looking at Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. There are these three sections, and from those three sections, we have three primary ideas. Keep it clean, protect the gospel, stay that course, persevere in the same, And love the community. Proclaim the gospel through service. Those are the three elements that we have within the larger chapter, larger paragraph of verses 1 through 15. Our passage teaches us that there is some kind of interdependent or symbiotic relationship between keeping the gospel clean, staying that course in the gospel, and loving the community, loving the body of Christ, loving our family of families, and each one is supported by the other and is compromised in their absence. I'm using this as an illustration. All illustrations are flawed, but we have a basic idea concerning the text in front of us. I have an egg. This is a good egg, an organic egg, grass-fed egg, but that egg has three parts. You have the yolk, the white, and then you have the shell. That yolk is where the life can reside. The shell or white is protecting that yoke as well as the shell. But if I compromise that in any way, it's in a pile of dirt. I have compromised the egg. Uh, Very few people in a right mind would now want to eat that egg. But that's what our passage is doing for us this morning. It's describing the scripture as that yoke, protect the gospel, the white, persevere in the same, that gospel, 
then proclaim the gospel, the shell, by loving the community, by loving one another. This interplay between these three ideas are necessary for the integrity of the gospel. We cannot emphasize one and ignore the others. Each one works together for the greater good and the glory of God. This idea of protecting the gospel, of persevering in the same, and of proclaiming the gospel. We have a tendency to separate them in examination. Let's look at each paragraph separately or each idea separately, but we must keep them together for the integrity of the gospel at the local church level. Moreover, these elements are always under assault. They're always being attacked. They're always being undermined. The devil knows that if you can compromise any of the three, the whole begins to fail. Knowing we are always in a gospel storm does enable us to be ready and to act accordingly. In 2017, there were 16 separate billion-dollar or more climate events, including Hurricanes Maria, Harvey, and Irma. And the damage for the year exceeded $300 billion. Extreme weather events often result in long-lasting, if not permanent, economic effects on areas impacted. The cost of an average hurricane is $21.6 billion. Hurricane Katrina is by far the costliest, the most devastating storm in U.S. history. While casualties from hurricanes since 1900 have numbered from a handful of fatalities to deaths in the low hundreds, Katrina resulted in 1,833 deaths. Damage from the storm is estimated at $160 billion, shattering 2017 second place Harvey, which caused $125 billion in damage. I would tell you this morning that the church has encountered these theological hurricanes in the past, and we are encountering those hurricanes today in the present. I'm wanting to take our text, Galatians 5, 1 through 15, and I'm wanting to place it inside of its historical context. Paul begins his formal missionary activity in Acts chapter 13. I'm going to invite you to go to Acts chapter 13, if you have your Bibles, and just read a couple of verses with me from Acts chapter 13. It's helpful to understand what's taking place in Galatians. And what we will hear in Galatians, unfortunately, is not abnormal. Paul begins his formal missionary activity in Acts chapters 13 and 14. After his church planting work in the region of Galatia, he receives a report from the churches of Galatia and then writes the letter to the Galatians. Let us listen in and see if we can't hear the winds of this Judaizing hurricane as it hits the churches of Galatia in Acts chapter 13 and 14. I'm beginning in verse 36 of Acts 13. We read, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Now notice, please, verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. So you and I will only find forgiveness of sins in the person and work of Jesus. Verse 39, and by him, everyone who believes is freed, listen to the language, from everything from which you could not be freed 
by the law of Moses. In verse 42, then it says, As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. Paul, we want to hear more. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Now notice verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. How astounding. Verse 45, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, you Jews, since you thrust it aside and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. And then verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. I trust you can hear the tension that existed as the Apostle Paul preached Christ crucified. The Jews took great offense at what they were hearing, and the Gentiles heard them gladly. So after writing the letter to Galatians, you have Acts chapter 13 and 14. Paul hears the report coming back out of Galatia, and he writes Galatians. After writing the letter to the Galatians, he confronts it again and heads to Jerusalem to meet with Peter, James, and John. Now let us see if we can't hear the intensity of that storm as it plays out in the Jerusalem Council of Acts 15. So if you turn with me to Acts 15, we'll begin in verse 1. Acts 15, verse 1. It reads, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised, listen to what they're saying, it fits perfectly in alignment with Galatians, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders and declared all that God had done with them. Now listen to verse 5. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, the party of the circumcision, rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. And then we jump down to verse 6. The apostles and elders came together to look into this matter. After they had made much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by the mouth, my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Verse 10, now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? 
But we believe that we are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus in the same way as they are. Did you hear what was happening? The Apostle Paul preaching faith in Christ as the sole means of being saved are met with opposition from these Judaizers who wish to place them under the law to put stipulation or condition on faith in Christ. The false teachers were saying that Jesus is necessary but he is simply not enough. They wanted to add what they do to what Jesus did. That's the problem. And this problem simply does not go away. From the historical context of Acts 13, we know a Judaizing hurricane is devastating the church. It's come in. It's impacting it negatively. In the aftermath of such devastation, we often see two types of of responses. First, there is this self-sacrificing and heroic help. A hurricane has visited the church. People are impacted in a negative way and others rush in to help. But then there are those other people in the midst of a hurricane and its devastation who come on in and start stealing everything. Two types of responses to the same situation. And it's the same kind of response we are reading of in our passage this morning, chapter 5, 13 through 15. You have indeed been set free in Christ, only use not this freedom for a platform for the flesh. Don't bite and devour each other, but rather serve one another in love. Paul begins the process of cleaning up the mess. The hurricane has visited the church of Galatia, He has now begun to clean up what has been left in its aftermath. He's addressing the problems by offering words of caution. Don't do this. Don't add to the gospel. Don't quit believing the gospel. And don't bite one another. And of conduct, do this. Keep it clean. Stay the course and love the community. The damage done in the church by this Judaizing hurricane is second to none. This false teaching created a very unhealthy atmosphere and poisoned many relationships. I think that's what we have to see. In the church of Galatia and in churches, when the law is brought into the doctrine of grace or the gospel, it harms relationships. People are hurt by its demands. And they were beginning to implode with pain and with pride, with guilt, with shame and frustration. And thus the Apostle Paul begins to clean up the damage done by these Judaizers at the local church level and within the families of the church. His purpose is twofold. He wants to warn them against the storm. Folks, the church is always in a storm. And he wants to recover from the storm. There is a way for us to stand fast and to not submit to this enslavement. Paul begins in chapter 5, verse 1, by reminding them of what is true. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul's premise is rather simple. Jesus Christ has set us free. We are correct in asking, what does Jesus set us free from and for? Well, we know from the book of Galatians 
that he has freed us from this present evil age. He has freed us from the curse of the law. We are no longer under any condemnation. He has freed us from imprisonment, from enslavement. He has freed us from a guardian of being under age. But what has he freed us for? Well, Christ lives in us. He has placed Christ on us because of spirit baptism. We have been saved for righteousness. We have been saved for justification, for the reception of the Holy Spirit, for sonship. We can call God Abba for redemption. We are heirs. We have an inheritance. We are the children of God. This is what Paul is calling us to stand firm in. Don't budge. Don't compromise. Don't give in. Don't quit. When you look at verse 13, it says, For you were called to freedom. Paul says we are called into this freedom. This word called in 5.13 occurs four other times in Galatians. It's found in chapter 1, verse 6, where we read, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you, the exact same word, into the grace of Christ. It's found in verse 15, where we read, But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, and then is found in chapter 5, verse 8, This persuasion is not from him who calls you. God is very intentional in this calling. He has called us into something that is very specific. After reminding them of what is true, he addresses the riches of the gospel as seen in this interrelated dynamic between keeping it clean, staying that course, and loving the community, loving the body, loving this family of families. So let us begin by noting the first element within this interdependent gospel relationship. The first thing Paul says is protect the gospel from contaminants. Keep it clean. Notice our text, verses 2 through 6. Paul says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, if you accept being circumcised, if you are a Gentile and you cave to these Judaizers and accept circumcision as a condition to your salvation, Paul says Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision as an add-on that he is then obligated to keep the whole law. As a consequence of this addition, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Here's the call. Keep it clean. Jesus is enough. The gospel, like that yoke, carries the life of God in it. The gospel and Jesus are synonymous. You cannot tamper with the gospel without destroying the life-infusing power of the gospel. The threat against that is that we begin to add to it. As we will see in our next section, Peter's failure in Galatians chapter 2, 11 through 14 adversely affected the gospel. He withdrew, he drew back, and others began acting hypocritically. 
his inability at that moment to persevere in the gospel despite opposition compromised the integrity of the gospel. The warning that Paul extends in this section is that Christ will be of no advantage to you if you add circumcision. Paul says that such an addition is a distortion of the gospel in chapter 1, verse 7. He says that we nullify the grace of God in chapter 2, verse 21. He says in chapter 3, verse 10, that we are placing ourselves back under a curse. Chapter 4, verse 11, Paul begins to wonder if he has labored in vain if these Gentiles go back to circumcision. Chapter 5, verse 3, you are then obligated to keep the whole law and thus under condemnation. In chapter 5, verse 4, Paul says you've been severed from Christ. You have fallen from grace. So what is Paul calling us to as a church? Protect the gospel from contaminants. Keep the gospel pure. Now let us notice the second element within this interdependent gospel relationship. Keep the gospel pure. And then in verses 7 through 12, Paul calls them to persevere in the gospel despite opposition. Stay the course. Keep it clean. Stay that course. Don't defect from it. Paul writes in verse 7, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? You were running well. Who blindsided you? Who tackled you from behind? Who tripped you up? We, will, we know who they were. They were these Judaizers, and this hurricane was visiting the churches of Galatia. And in this aftermath, we had massive hurt taking place. The call that Paul extends to the church is stay the course, don't quit. Persevere in the gospel despite opposition. We are not so foolish as to think everyone believes what we believe concerning the gospel. Keep the gospel from contaminants and persevere in the gospel despite opposition. Stay the course. Paul's words to us as a church is do not quit. And the warning is found in verse 9. Verse 9 says that just a little leaven is going to leaven the entire lump. Paul's perplexity over their capitulation is seen throughout the book of Galatians. He says, I am astonished. Paul says, how could you possibly turn back? Paul says, I am afraid for you. What would Paul say to us today? Perhaps the same. Notice how these Judaizers are described. Notice the intensity of the hurricane throughout the book of Galatians. Paul says that they are troubling you. Paul says that someone has bewitched you. Paul says that they are bringing you back into enslavement, into slavery. Paul says they want to shut you out. Paul says they are hindering you from obeying the truth. That's how serious the threat is. That's how intense the storm is. Paul says in chapter 6, verse 12, they want to make a good showing in their flesh. You're, as it were, a trophy. Paul's warning to the church is, don't submit to the storm. We are under assault. Protect the gospel from contaminants. How? Persevere in the gospel through obstacle. Don't quit. Stay the course. Resist the assault. Don't cave in. That's what Paul says to them. 
Is it easy? No. The third element within this interdependent gospel relationship is found in verses 13 through 15. Paul says, For you were called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Paul calls them to keep it clean, stay the course, and love the community. The shell is what people see. When we talk of our gospel centricity or a Christocentric approach, what do they see? Well, Paul says what they see is the shell. They don't see the yoke. They don't see the white until we crack that shell. The gospel has these interrelated symbiotic parts. And Paul says, proclaim the gospel through service. The call that Paul extends to the church is to love one another. Now, it's interesting how Paul couches that idea. He says, for you, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, a negative, but through love serve one another. For the whole law, and remember, what were these Judaizers after? Law conformity, circumcision, the dietary rules and regulations. And Paul says, if you really want to fulfill the law, love one another. And I'll show you how it's traceable throughout the entire New Testament. But Paul says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he has a negative. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The call is for us to love one another. Paul bookends his primary idea of loving one another within this short paragraph with two negatives. The threat, don't use the freedom that you have in Christ to indulge your sinful nature. In the midst of this theological storm, passions are running amok and people are leveraging the storm to their advantage and to the demise of their family members. And Paul says to these people who are pilfering the body, who are abusing the body, stop. Just stop. Rather than use and abuse others, Paul calls the church to love one another by serving one another. It's very concrete. He doesn't leave it in the abstract. And the warning he says to us in the absence of this love, in the absence of this gospel, is that you will be consumed. Notice how he ends, but if you bite and devour one another... Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. There's this cannibalizing of the body. And folks, when we get to the point of eating one another, it is strongly problematic. Kirsten and I once had two dogs. We live in the woods, and those dogs would get a hold of a woodchuck. And they would make a ruckus that would cause your skin to crawl. Two dogs against a woodchuck quite intense, this biting and this devouring that's taking place. If you have a child in daycare, one of the last things you want to hear is that there's a biter among the kids or that your kid is the biter. Is that normal? Well, yes. Is it nice? Not so much. That idea creates alarm and it is never pleasant. And Paul argues that this is what is happening in the church. 
How does that get flipped? How do you stop that from taking place? Well, Paul says, love one another by serving one another. He notes how grace through love serves one another. That word, one another, that's one word in the Greek language, occurs 94 times in the New Testament. It is a common word of how we are to live out the gospel within the local church. It occurs five times in Galatians. Paul is not referring to the body at large. I mean, it's so easy to love people that you've never met. I exaggerate when I say I have a million friends on Facebook, but none of them will help me move or attend my funeral. Those are easy peasies. Paul is always writing to relationships that you can see, that you can touch, that you can feel, that you can hear. He's referring to the church body, to your family of families. Paul says that we are to be serving one another. It begins in our immediate family. And this is what's happening with this imposition of law onto grace. Families. Husbands and wives, moms and dads and children are beginning to implode. They're running amok. It begins in our family. And Paul says the solution, the resolution to that conflict is serving one another, compelled by this love. And then it expands to the church and then finally to our larger community in which we exist as a people. This is noted in chapter 6, verse 10. Paul says when we do this, when we love one another, and remember it's part of this gospel interplay, protect the gospel from contaminants, persevere in the gospel through obstacles and proclaim the gospel by serving. Paul says when we do this, we are fulfilling the law, the very thing that the Judaizers were imposing on the church. The gospel does something through us that we could not do by trying to keep the law. That's what's amazing. The law said do this, but we couldn't do it. The gospel does what the law could not do. And Paul says, by loving one another, you are fulfilling the law. What the law legislated, the gospel activated. Love one another. It's a common thread found throughout the New Testament. I don't have time. It's found in the synoptic gospels. It's found in the book of Romans chapter 13, verse 8, James chapter 2. We'll see it again in Galatians chapter 6, 1 and 2, when Paul wrote, brethren, if even if anyone is caught in any trespass, if he is being overwhelmed by all of this, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. The Holy Spirit causes this love that's received by us to work in us and through us to those around us. This is what the gospel looks like in real time. We are serving one another. Here's what the Holy Spirit wants us to walk away with this morning from this text, Galatians 5, 1 through 15. Folks, let us protect the gospel from contaminants. Let us persevere in the gospel through obstacles. It's going to be hard. There will be those who will seek to push us off course, but stay the course. And then proclaim the gospel by serving one another. What follows in the remainder of this letter, chapters 5, verses 16 and following, is what this gospel-driven love looks like in the church. So here we are as a fellowship. 
we have our visual and egg. By the way, it's, it's a fake egg. <laughs> Chickens need encouragement. But we have our egg. There's this interplay inside of these three dynamics that the Apostle Paul speaks of. Protect the gospel. Folks, that's a charge given to us as a church. Protect the gospel from contaminants. It's rather simple when we think of the person and work of Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. You can't, only God can, and Jesus did, protect the gospel. But persevere in the gospel through the obstacle. It's never going to be easy. There is a pile of white noise. But stay fast and persevere in the gospel. And then proclaim the gospel. How? Well, through love, serve one another. That's how. Each one of these elements are supported by the other two. In the absence of any, it all slowly collapses. Paul's primary audience is the local church. And he's calling us to keep it clean. Don't add to it. Stay that course. Don't quit. And love one another. Stop biting. Paul addresses them all and calls them all back to gospel. Right now, in your own relationships, where is this tension because of the law? And how might we find resolution because of the gospel? So as we listen to what the Spirit of God says through the text, let us first simply thank God for the gospel. Thank God for the gospel. And then ask him to make application in our life and in the life of this church family. How can we strengthen one another in each of these three areas? Please stand with me as we close in prayer. Our Father God, we thank you for the simplicity of truth. We need what the Spirit of God says through this word. Help us individually and corporately to protect the gospel from contaminants, to keep it clean. Help us not to add to it in any way. Father, help us to stay that course. Help us not to quit. Help us to persevere in that truth through all the various obstacles that are always around us. And finally, Father, help us to proclaim the gospel by simply loving and serving one another and always toward those who are closest to us within our family, and then within the family of families. So, Father, we pause for just a moment, and we thank you for the gospel. We are also asking that you would enable us to make appropriate life application, personally and corporately. So we thank you for this time, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.